they went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know it, for he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will raise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The word of God for the world. Jesus would have made the worst marketing executive. The thrust in today's gospel, the last, say it with me, shall be first. What kind of pitch is that for the new followers of the way? If you want to be greatest, you have to be last and least, the servant of all. Doesn't Jesus know these words are scandalous? Couldn't he do better, find a better group, find a better tagline, hashtag? But according to Jesus, the greatest are the least among social status, privilege, Position, power. And I love what Jesus does in this moment in Capernaum. As Herb said at Free For All, our time of gathering early in the week, he sits down. Make note, Jesus sits down. (laughs) He has something to say and for them to listen. And what does he do? He takes a child He says, you see this child, if you welcome this child, one of these children, these children who have no social standing in society, by the way, you welcome me. That's what I mean by the last shall be first. Well, let's not forget the context in which the story takes place. It's sandwiched, as Mark does many times through the Gospel of Mark, is use these little sandwich stories. The greater sandwiches are the blind gaining sight. And inside that sandwich, so we have something to learn about really seeing here. And inside of that, you have this story placed right between two 
that are healed by evil spirits. Jesus is healing, and he tells the disciples, I love this line, because they said, why couldn't we cast out the demon, or this spirit, as it's named? And he said, this kind can only come out through prayer. I just, you just want to be a fly on that wall or that airspace as they were traveling now through Galilee and as it says, landing in Capernaum. And Jesus decides to take this opportunity to do a little more teaching, teaching them about what it means that he is Messiah. And so he says, the son of man is to be betrayed, literally to be handed over into human hands. They will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. Jesus speaks plainly, predicting his own death, suffering by human hands and resurrection. And you know, it's such an interesting fact that the disciples sort of, they hear, they hear it in one ear. But, you know, they've just experienced the shiny, happy Jesus that I call on Transfiguration. Chapter 9, read it, very beginning. God's glory shines forth through Jesus. And they cannot take glory and suffering together. The Messiah shouldn't die The Messiah shouldn't be handed over to enemies. That doesn't sound like glory to me. But instead of asking Jesus, like, what are you talking about? How can this even be possible? Notice their silence. And what does the text say? They are afraid to ask him. That's their reaction. As Ellie said at Free For All, let's just get distracted and start thinking about our own thing instead of even considering what Jesus might be talking about. So let's go back to that whole transfiguration scene. You know, we're obviously sort of in this big deal category. Let's see, let's talk about who is the greatest. Well, Jesus has a little surprise for them by the next chapter, chapter 10. In case they didn't get it the first and second time, Jesus predicts his death a third time. In fact, he says to James and John, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I was baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus is predicting their own martyrdom here. And I love what Andrew Pryor put so pointedly. To follow Jesus means to risk the same ending. Ouch. Again, not a good marketing line. Come to Jesus, you may die too. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus is getting at in this text for today. It may not be with nails and a cross, but the call to follow Jesus here is about laying down prestige and privilege, power, 
the exact thing that they've been arguing about. There is a cost involved. Now, I came across, this is what we call a preacher story. I want to read it to you. The greatest is the last, remember, Jesus says, the servant of all. Here it is. While flying high above the earth, there was an engine that malfunctioned and the plane was going to go down. The pilot came out of the cockpit with a parachute strapped to his back and said, Folks, there is good news and there is bad news. The bad news is that the plane is going to crash and there's nothing I can do about it. The good news is that there are several parachute packs on the wall back there. The other bad news is that there are only four of them and there are five of you. Good luck. Thank you for choosing our airline and we hope you have a good evening wherever your final destination may be. <laughs> he then gave a shocked passengers a thumbs up, <laughs> opened the door and jumped for safety. Immediately, a woman jumped out of her seat and said, I'm one of the most prominent brain surgeons in the world. My patients depend on me. And she grabbed a pack, strapped it to her back, and leapt out. Then a man stood up. I'm a partner in a large law practice, and the office would fall to pieces without me. He grabbed a pack, strapped it to his back, and leapt out. Another man stood up and said, I'm arguably the smartest man in the world. My IQ is so high, I won't even tell you what it is, but surely you understand that I must have a parachute. He grabbed a bundle, strapped it to his back, and jumped. That left only two people on the plane, a middle-aged pastor and a teenage boy. Son said the pastor, you take the last parachute. You're young. You have your whole life ahead of you. God bless you and safe landing. The teenager grinned at the older man. Thanks, pastor, but there are still two parachutes left. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack. <laughs> Oh, we need some levity. We, we, we need it. For We have to be careful touting about how great we think we are, right? Uh, it's all in our perception. And Jesus tells us today there's one measure of greatness. Lastness. And this was a great subversive word to this ancient world culture. Most of you probably know that in the ancient Near East, one of the most abundant and important value systems to the people was honor and shame. And you've probably heard me speak about that, honor and shame. 
I want to tell you a little bit, a quote from Micah Kiel, a theology professor, who says, those who were rich and powerful hoped to demonstrate their honor by the company they kept. At the same time, they could further curry favor and influence through highly respectable social relations. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Now, I love Amzi McMullen, for all of you history buffs out there, wrote a book called Roman Social Relations from 50 B.C. to A.D. 284. And he describes the ancient class system. And interestingly enough, I'll just distill a piece. There was no middle class. No middle class. So imagine a system where the upper class was made up of an elite group, and it was really important to make it known that you were a part of that elite group. And the rest, the bulk, of course, was the poor. And in fact, um, as he says, the upper classes emphasized for everyone to notice and acknowledge the steep, steep social structure that they topped. That was about building honor, that you had worked hard to climb the steep, steep social structure. And so to gain access to that top was to receive honor, and much shame was associated to being at the bottom. And so, of course, you can see how this relates, that the the rich would try to shame those below so they could climb a little bit higher. And as Kiel says, the rich wanted to associate, associate only with other rich, and they would intentionally insult and demean those who were slightly less rich and hope to accumulate favor with those who were above them. And so you can see how this system plays out. Intentionally insulting and demeaning to move up, to gain honor. And you certainly wouldn't associate with people of lower class, of lower position. And so Jesus comes along and he just rocks this world the great subversion. He says, I'm building a kingdom too. And it's political in the sense that my kingdom has very different values. It doesn't work with the wisdom of imperial or social power that you're used to. He redefines what it means to be great. And I love this word when he says the greatest And the kingdom is the servant or servant of all. The Greek word here is diakonos, which is actually where we get the word deacon. But here, this word diakonos means literally the one who serves food. This is the low. One without position. If you had position, you would be the one served the food. But a servant obviously had lowly status and considered the needs of others. In fact, the servant of all was meant after everybody else had been fed, you could have whatever food was left over. And Jesus says, be like that. Consider the needs of others before yourself. 
sounds like somebody we know. And though we don't pick up, because we don't speak Greek, the word that Jesus used here is actually for a little child. Is a very similar sounding word for servant. And it also means someone with no social standing. For children did not contribute to the economic cycle. Children were vulnerable. And though they were not outcast, they were definitely without honor. So for both categories, Jesus says, if you want to be great, and this is powerful subversion, or I I would say, if Jesus was speaking Baptist, he'd say, if you want to invite me into your heart, you will receive one of these. Now, let me just stop and say, this is not the saccharine, sweet picture of Jesus welcoming the children at Sunday school. Okay? Now that's one take we could go with. <laughs> but the child, as we talked about at Free For All, represented much more than just the sweet, meek of the society. The child represented, as I mentioned, the one that was lowly and marginalized, the refugee, the least powerful in our society, the homeless youth, whoever is the last or least at your table, at my table. And Jesus says, if you want to receive me, you receive them. I don't want to go all through Mark's gospel, but I just want to say, if you look at it, sort of take a look, especially the children that Mark says are the successful in this subverted world, in the kingdom, are the ostracized demoniacs, The bleeding women and dead girls, the sick, and those with disabilities. And that's just through Mark 9. Now, I don't think it would take long, and I can see your mind spinning about who are these among us in our cultural context? Who are the people that are vulnerable? without social standing, the invisible, the looked past, the let's not deal with those people. I think of the elderly in the nursing home or the assisted living home, many times without a voice or without an advocate. I think about the immigrant without a home, without a country, the refugee, the bullied LGBTQ youth in our community, without many times a voice, without many times a family, 
sometimes without a home. Or as Philip said at Free For All, the child that this represents is anyone we think that we are greater than. See, don't you want me to just read that, that, that joke again? <laughs> Greatness is lastness. I've told you about one of my favorite Flannery O'Connor short stories. I'm not going to go into the great details about it, but what I love about it is the main character, this is Revelation, and the main character, she's in this doctor's waiting room, and she is a white, poised Christian woman. And in the waiting room, she takes note of the black woman who is dressed refined and speaks educated speech and the poe white trash next to her and you can just see this woman creates her own pecking order and even though white people are supposed to be before black people this is poe white trash so we're gonna she gets a little bit in front and you, you laugh, and at the same time, you're in com- completely indicted because you know that we all have our pecking orders. And Jesus says here, if you want a pecking order, if you really need that to function, try it this way. The least in every way among you is first. And we're called to whoever we see that way, and get behind them. Subversion. Jesus, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you toppling? So I want us to enter this story, not just intellectually, but think about who is last in our places of work. In our schools, who is last in our neighborhoods, at our church? What would it mean to serve them? Just in case we think we've arrived in church culture, think again. You know, it is so funny that churches do the very same thing. We have our own positions of prestige. We have rewards and prizes for great sacrifices. I remember at my church growing up (laughs) giving this great reward and banquet for the one they named the servant of the year. (laughs) (laughs) We do this and we joked at Free For All this week or afterwards about GAs, which is Girls in Action. It's a mission Um, education component um, as Southern Baptists that was wonderful and very powerful and helpful. But one of the things that we were joking about was that you sort of built, (laughs) we were saying queen regent, and then I think it was queen with the scepter, and (laughs) queen regent in service, and we were joking about who was better because I got the scepter, and anyway. If you missed out on that whole fun, we can recreate it for you. (laughs) But we do that. It's like we don't know another way without sort of honoring publicly 
Um, and this is our badge of honor, we say, to rise in rank, even in the church, or just to flout our Christianity, uh, like a status symbol sometimes it becomes for people. You know, bumper stickers and T-shirts and symbols, um, almost as if, you know, we're in the in-group. And, and, and a lot of this, ha- some of this is not wrong, but it's the attitude in which we have them, right? And I would say, what if we carry this sign I'm called to be last. Please stand in front of me. I'm called to die. Please shovel the first batch of dirt on me. I'm called to serve. What can I do for you? It's a whole different way of positioning ourselves in the world. And the suffering servant Jesus, as he is called, taught the leaders, these disciples, and said there's a whole other way of doing leadership, not with the authority and power of the empire of its day, with, with its adage that we have, might makes right, attitude. But Jesus says it's with a towel and a basin. And he shows them what it's like to walk a road to a cross. In humility, in service, you will find greatness. Jesus, let us make no mistake, is subverting an entire system, an entire culture, an entire worldview, really an entire way of being in the world. And he's still doing that with us. Okay, so what does this mean? Okay. Yeah, this sounds great, and I hope I can forget it after this sermon. It sounds really hard. I love what Emmanuel Cantongole says. He spoke, he's a fabulous um, leader. He spoke at Duke Chapel, and he preached a sermon that was fabulous. And one of the things he talks about is he speaks of Jean Vanier, who created the Liarche community. That was a community to gather those with mental, um, mental illness, people with physical handicaps, um, other mental um, disabilities. And he created this sacred space. And it's a powerful story if you don't know it. Uh, Henry Nowen, which a lot of you know, worked and, and stayed there for some time. But anyway, in his Emmanuel sermon at Duke Chapel, he says this, The greatest lesson that Jean Vanier, founder of the La Arche community, teaches us and reminds us that what the poor, the weak, and the disabled require of us is not so much to do things for them. It is not so much to sacrifice on their behalf but to invite them to sit at the same table with us. That blew me away this week. I said, that's it. That's the turn Jesus is making. It's not that they want a handout to be seen as different or disabled. It's not, as he says, so much to sacrifice on their behalf 
but to invite them to sit at the same table. It's junior high lunch, people. What another subversion that maybe intuitively we thought we needed, if the last shall be first, maybe we need to do something for them, this category we've been talking about. But what happens is we've now made they them. And that's what Vanier is getting at. And Jesus pointing to the great equalizer the great mark of hospitality, the subversion that he's making, is that the kingdom value is that we're all sitting at the same table in equal position. To see ourselves in each other, to see God in one another. So finally, friends, I, I talk about this passage as an invitation to the table. The radical inclusion that Jesus is making here. And it makes us question our values, our value system of honor and shame. I remember being in junior high and feeling the shame of having friends around that table, all that were like me, and one or two at another table. I remember the feelings of wanting to be liked. Those feelings don't go away. Those feelings of honor and shame are very much in our culture. And Jesus is saying, to be my disciple... To welcome and receive one of these children, you got to clear the clutter off your table. Politically, socially, theologically, you got to make room for more people at the table. And guess what? They're not going to increase your social standing. The problem, though, finally, is our tables are usually pretty full. like mine it only seats four (laughs) we've got our friends around them and our family and to make room feels a little at best an inconvenience and at worst and terrible imposition and Jesus says we've got to get to the point where we receive all people at our table and and here's the thing we don't just wait for them to show up (laughs) oh gosh But when we move towards social subversion, Jesus' subversion, we invite them to sit at the table. And we don't do like one person shared, after we shake their hands, we use hand sanitizer. (laughs) It's here at the table that we look them in the eye and we risk vulnerability. We hear their story. We pray God remove our prejudices, our bigotry. That we pray that we would see the God in them. 
and pray that they would see the God in us. And then at that moment, we would realize that we are not greater than anyone. And in humility, at that moment, at this great table, may we lean in a little closer and hear the great host saying, you are all my children. You are all my beloved. You are all great. Now serve one another. Amen.